Greetings and welcome to Stars and Stuff, the astronomy podcast brought to you by me, Richard J. Bartlett. In this episode, we'll review the news and planets and consider how our dreams of space exploration have changed over the past 40 years. So here we are again, ladies and gentlemen. It's been more than a month since I last recorded a podcast and, well, it's been a turbulent time. On February 27th, the night I was going to record the last podcast, my young son and I were involved in a car accident that resulted in the loss of my car. Fortunately, my son and I were okay, but needless to say, it threw my routine out of the window. I had to take time off work, get a new car, deal with the insurance company, and now I'm in the process of taking legal action. And then, of course, we found ourselves in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic. I live in California, and the school shut down two weeks ago, so I've been working from home since then. I've been lucky, I still have a job, albeit at 10% less pay than before, but again, more disruption. For someone who likes routine and likes to know what's coming around the corner, this has been somewhat disconcerting. That's not to say I can't be flexible. I can suck it up and deal with it as well as anyone else, but it creates a sense of unease and anxiety in the process. None of which is conducive to producing a podcast. To some extent, the dust has settled and I feel that life is now normalizing if you can call it that. Unfortunately, I think we're in this for the foreseeable future, and like it or not, I think the world is going to be a very different place by the time summer rolls around. So what should we do? Of course there's always the stars. Regardless of what happens here on Earth, there's always the stars. The skies here, in the outskirts of Los Angeles, have cleared, and while there's still the same light pollution, the air quality has improved, and the stars seem a little brighter. Less than a month ago, you couldn't go outside without seeing at least two or three airplanes crossing the sky. I think I've seen two in the past two weeks. So look forward and look up. The times they are changing, but the stars remain the same. Astronomers have found the best evidence for the perpetrator of a cosmic homicide, a black hole of an elusive class known as intermediate mass which betrayed its existence by tearing apart a wayward star that passed too close. Weighing in at about 50,000 times the mass of our sun, the black hole is smaller than the supermassive black holes that lie at the cores of large galaxies, but larger than stellar mass black holes formed by the collapse of a massive star. These so-called intermediate mass black holes are a long-sought missing link in black hole evolution. Though there have been a few other candidates, Researchers consider these new observations the strongest evidence yet for mid-sized black holes in the universe. It took the combined power of two X-ray observatories and the keen vision of NASA's Hubble Space Telescope to nail down the cosmic beast. An international team of researchers has found that neon inside certain massive stars can eat so many electrons in the core, a process called electron capture, that it causes the star to collapse into a neutron star and produce a supernova. The researchers were interested in studying the final fate of stars within a mass range of some 8 to 10 solar masses, or 8 to 10 times the mass of our Sun. This mass range is important because it includes the boundary between whether a star has a large enough mass to undergo a supernova explosion to form a neutron star, or has a smaller mass to form a white dwarf star without becoming a supernova. The research suggests that the electron capture supernova could explain the properties of the supernova recorded in 1054 that formed the Crab Nebula. 
controllers at the European Space Agency's Mission Control Center are preparing for a gravity assist flyby of the European Japanese Mercury explorer Bepi Colombo. The maneuver, which will see the mission adjust its trajectory by harnessing Earth's gravitational pull as it swings past the planet, will be performed amid restrictions the ESA has implemented in response to the coronavirus pandemic. Bepi Colombo, launched in October 2018, is currently orbiting the Sun at a similar distance as the Earth. On April 10th, at about 6.25 a.m. Central European Summertime, the spacecraft will approach the Earth at a distance of only 12,700 kilometers, which is less than half the altitude of Europe's Galileo navigational satellites. The maneuver will slow down the Bepi Colombo spacecraft and bend its trajectory towards the center of the solar system, thus tightening its orbit around the Sun. NASA's Send Your Name to Mars campaign invited people around the world to submit their names to ride aboard the agency's next rover to the Red Planet. Some 10.9 million people did just that. The names were stenciled by electron beam onto three fingernail-sized silicon chips, along with the essays of the 155 finalists in NASA's Name the Rover contest. The chips then were attached to an aluminum plate on NASA's Perseverance Mars rover at Kennedy Space Center in Florida on March 16th. Scheduled to launch this summer, Perseverance will land on Mars on February 18th next year. Lastly, supermassive black holes are billions of times larger than our Sun, so how is it possible that they were already present when the universe, now 14 billion years old, was just 800 million years old? A recent article offers a possible explanation to the thorny issue. The study proposes a very fast formation process in the initial phases of, of the development of the supermassive black holes, those up to now considered slower proving, mathematically, that their existence was possible in the young universe, the results of the research reconciles the timing required for their growth with the limits imposed by the age of the cosmos. Let's take a look at the moon and planets for the first 10 days of April. Venus reached greatest easterly elongation on March 24th, but is still a very respectable 44 degrees away from the Sun. This means it remains visible for hours after sunset and the first four or five days of the month presents us with a rare opportunity. If you take a set of binoculars, regular 10x50s will easily do the trick. You can see Venus catching up to the Pleiades star cluster. In particular, take a look from Thursday April 2nd to Saturday April 4th, but especially Friday April 3rd. On that night, the planet will appear closest to the stars of the cluster. To get the best view, wait until about 90 minutes after sunset to allow time for the skies to properly darken. Mars is slowly getting better in the pre-dawn sky. It brightens slightly to magnitude 0.7 and grows in size from 6 to 7 arc seconds. That's still pretty faint and small compared to Jupiter, which shines at magnitude minus 2.2 and appears about 6 times larger than the red planet through a telescope. Saturn appears between the two in the morning sky. Compare Saturn to Mars, they're both the same magnitude and therefore appear equally bright where Saturn appears two and a half times larger than the red planet through a telescope. Uranus and Neptune are still creeping slowly away from the Sun, but may still prove a little tricky to spot. If you're looking for another challenge, try spotting Mercury in the pre-dawn twilight. It won't be easy. Depending on your location, it may only rise some 30 to 45 minutes before the Sun. The further south you are, the better your chances, and you'll need a clear, unobstructed view of the eastern horizon. The planet won't appear very high, perhaps no more than about 5 degrees, so you might need binoculars to spot it. 
Lastly, the moon reaches first quarter on the 1st and passes Regulus and Leo on the 4th. It'll turn full on the 8th and will appear close to Speaker in Virgo that same night. When I was a kid, there was a mobile library that used to stop at a high school every Monday. I used to love to go in there and simply look at the books. I can still see it in my mind's eye. There was one book in particular that I loved and used to borrow often. Called The New Challenge of the Stars, it was written by Sir Patrick Moore and had beautiful paintings and illustrations by the famous space artist David Hardy. Published in 1977, it contains views of the planets and distant stars that we can still only imagine, but the title of the book suggested something else. The title literally challenged us, as individuals and as a species, to explore these strange new worlds and to seek out new life and new civilizations. It presented a hopeful, optimistic view of the future that seems as far away today as it did then. Back then, the space shuttle was still just a few years away in the future. Flights were planned for 1979, but the program was delayed time and time again. It wasn't until April 12, 1981, on the 20th anniversary of the first manned spaceflight by Yuri Gagarin, that the space shuttle Columbia made its maiden flight. There was supposed to be a shuttle flight every few weeks. There was supposed to be an entire fleet of shuttles buzzing back and forth between the Earth and the orbiting space stations. The future promised to us by films like 2001 A Space Odyssey didn't seem so far-fetched. Of course, 2001 came and went. Although the International Space Station had been built, it was nothing like the, or the orbital hotels we'd witnessed in Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece. By that time, the shuttle had been in service for nearly 20 years and we were still no closer to the stars. Over the intervening years, I've heard promises from almost every president that we would return to the moon or venture onward towards Mars. Most recently, NASA has been tasked with landing humans on the moon as soon as 2022. I've heard different versions of this story so many times that I literally can't even tell you what the spacecraft is called anymore. It seems to change every few years. So where does that leave us? Do we even have a future in the stars? I have to say yes. It's in our nature to explore. We have a curious mind, a brave heart, and a steadfast resolve to overcome the challenges that are presented to us. I don't know when we'll return to the moon, or first set foot upon Mars. I don't know when we'll first set sail for the stars, or make the first contact with an alien species. The world, as we know it, at this moment, is changing on a daily basis, and it seems as though nothing is certain anymore. But I can tell you this. If there's one thing that's essential to surviving a crisis, it's hope. It's having the vision and the courage to imagine a time when we will return to the moon, when we will set foot on Mars. There will come a time when we'll encounter strange new worlds, new life, and new civilizations. There will come a time when we'll look back at these first steps into the cosmos and realize how far we've come and how much we've grown. We'll look back at the paintings and we'll remember the promises and we'll realize that the universe is far stranger and far more wonderful than we could have ever imagined. We'll look back and we'll know that even when the future was uncertain and the times were changing, we were strong. We looked ahead, we moved forward, we strived, we survived, and we thrived. That is the challenge of the stars, and it's a challenge we will win. So here's this episode's trivia question. You can get over 700 like it from my book, The Daily Astronaut Call and Space Quiz Book, which is available on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle format. So here it is. 
Which star's name means prince or little king? Is it A. Arcturus, B. Miser, C. Regulus, or D. Speaker? As always, I'll give you the answer in just a few moments. The answer to the trivia question is C. Regulus, the brightest star in the constellation of Leo, the lion, it seems appropriate that the star's name should have royal connotations, given that the constellation represents the king of the cats. That's it for another episode. As always, if you liked it, please subscribe and tell your friends. You can find Stars and Stuff on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple and Google, among others, or by going to tinyurl.com forward slash SNS pod. If you're interested in my books, you can find them at tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon us in the United States and tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon uk in the United Kingdom. You're also welcome to email me at astronomywriter at gmail.com with any comments or questions you might have. And don't forget to come and join the Stars and Stuff Facebook group at tinyurl.com forward slash SNS Facebook group. Thanks for listening, and until we talk again, clear skies to you.